Spending time in classrooms is one of the most impactful ways we can support teachers and grow our schools. But all of that classroom work can result in tons of documentation that really goes nowhere. If you've got piles of sticky notes all over your desk and random collections of thoughts in all of your apps, it's time to consolidate. ConnectHub.io is a platform created by coaches for coaches. It's designed to help you organize your notes as you meet with educators and get powerful data on your impact in their classrooms. You can also use this information to support their professional learning and growth. ConnectHub.io includes great features to help you protect the coach-teacher relationship by providing different levels of account access for sharing only what you want with administrators. You can also customize reports to share specific kinds of information with your admin. This is such a great software for coaches. Check it out today at ConnectHub.io to simplify your instructional coaching with a free trial. As a literacy coach at an elementary school, I spent so much time trying to find the perfect supplemental resources for my teachers. That's why I am so excited to share a special resource with you today. Decodable texts are essential for our students who are working on mastering phonics in primary grades especially. I have come across the sweetest decodable books that I love and my kindergarten daughter loves them too. They're called Express Readers. Each book has a complete storyline, includes fun and funny characters like Bug and Duck, and the stories are engaging and increasing complexity over time, as do the words and sentence structures on each page. Sticky words are identified in each book to help children with words they aren't able to decode yet, or those with irregular spelling patterns. They're the perfect resource for giving students at your school the practice they need in applying phonics skills. Head to expressreaders.org and visit the Decodable Books page. There you can download a quick keys guide with teaching tips for each book, including teaching sticky word mapping. You can also get free sample decodables sent to your address. Head to expressreaders.org if you're building your phonics instruction and you're ready for some really great readers. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, Coach, and welcome to episode 170, Meaningful Use of Data with Jessica Zimmerman. We are moving into a brand new theme. And you know, I love my themes. We are starting a theme about data and assessments. And I want to do this because I get a lot of questions from coaches about how to make this meaningful with teachers. So that is why I'm going to invite a guest today to help me talk a little bit about looking at data and making it actually work for you. Because how many times have you sat in a data meeting, looked at the data, talked about the data, and then you walked out and did literally nothing different moving forward and you had no real application of all that time that you just spent talking about it? If your PLC data meetings are working like this, then this whole month is for you. We're gonna look at how we can collect data meaningfully, what kinds of assessments we should be looking at. We collect so much assessment information about kids. Today, we're actually going to look at how data can guide our instruction. So my guest is Jessica Zimmerman. Uh, she's actually the 2021 Milken Educator Award recipient, and she is a GT coordinator and instructional coach who's going to help us talk about how to use all this data that we're collecting. So welcome to the podcast today, Jessica. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Chrissy. I've been a longtime fan. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, could you introduce yourself to our listeners, talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up where you are, and what kind of work you focus on? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jessica Zimmerman. Um, I'm an instructional coach in the Roosevelt School District in South Phoenix in Arizona. And uh, I started in education 2011, got my master's the same time uh, I was teaching kindergarten. And I taught four years, K-1, two, three, went all the way through, um, cycled up with some kids, which was really cool. And then I became a gifted resource teacher uh, for a few years where I went around to the different schools in the district and supported gifted and talented students. And um, it was in 2017 where the school that I'm at currently, Valley View, I had a principal, Mr. McClellan. He said, hey, great opportunity. I have a coaching spot that's opened up. If you'd want to transition from your role of servicing gifted students, can you come on over? And at that time, um, I've had really great coaches, really sweet coaches. Um, I've also had not so great coaches. So in my mind, the role has always ever been a many hats, not accessible. They were testing all of the things. And so I was like, you know, that's just not a job that, that appeals to me. And he said, well, um, what would make it appeal to you? And I said, well, you know, teachers are so stressed. They deserve someone that's in their corner. That's going to advocate for them. That's going to support them. And, um, and he said, well, why don't you be that kind of coach then? He's like, why don't you, you know, be the coach that you didn't have I was mm -hmm. like, oh, such a good point. So I became the coach that I, you know, didn't have and transitioned full-time into being an instructional coach now six years ago. And, um, you know, now I'm a coach to my teachers that are like my, I call them my angel babies. They are my students. And so I treat them just as if they were kids in my classroom before I'm excited for them. Um, the little, when they do things and say things in meetings, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. You did it. I'm so proud of you. So it's that same, like, that same nurturing, that same um, rallying for them, knowing that they can do it, brought that into um, this role. So it, I'm really happy he pushed me out of my comfort zone um, to transition in the role because I I love this work. I love supporting our teachers because they just, they deserve that level of support. You know, the fact that he said, how can we make this a role into one you want to have? was great because then you know he supported you not doing all those other things and instead really spending your time with teachers. So that was, that's excellent. Yes, absolutely. What kinds of data, like we're going to get right into this data conversation because this is something I'm, I'm very interested in. <laughs> um, we see data being used badly. We see people not collecting data or not knowing what to do with it once they collect it. So what kinds of data do we, like as a system, we know it's going to vary, but do we currently collect that we could be using better? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think like data sometimes can be a really dirty word in education because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like connotation behind it. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that have had a lot of different experiences with data. And so as coaches, it's what we really ground ourselves in but understanding that not all teachers have the same experience with data that we do. And so first it's just understanding that there's a lot of like implicit bias with data. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that's, that's the first thing to just kind of get out there that the data that we do collect, understanding that there's a lot that comes with it. Um, I'm going to say that the data that we could be using better that I didn't even really start 
doing um, as, as a data review with my teachers until really the last few years was looking at student work. And so, so often we want to look at that quantitative data, how many students are proficient, which students are making growth. Um, and those are really great data points, but for systems thinking, those are for your admin level should be looking at that data consistently. Um, it's a good like dipstick for your teachers to see, are we making the progress that we need to, but it shouldn't be where we are living as teachers. We should be living in looking at what students are doing. And so when we look at student work, it is like a quality versus quantity thing. It tells us what they can't do, but the nice thing about student work is it also tells us what they can do. And in education, we're really deficit-based thinkers. We look at what they can't do. We try to fill the gaps. And in this case, um, when we're looking at their work, we also get the sense of what they can do. And I think that's wildly missing in a lot of the discussions about looking at student data. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the what you're, I like what you're saying about thinking about, we look at data for school-wide decisions and for systemic issues within the school, but individual teachers have to be looking at individual kids because that's how they're going to respond to the data is, is what do, what is this child doing? What is that child doing? And we of course make decisions about if the majority of the kids need something, we're going to do that whole group, but we need to know our individual students, not just like a mass of our kids, you know, it. 75%, some people might be happy with that in depending on what that represents, but that's a lot of kids who are, are needing something. And that's some, some kids who are really doing well in that area. What does it mean? Like we just, whenever we just look at percentages and not people, we, mm -hmm. we miss out on the meaning of the data and the whole point. Yeah. And the thing with student work too, is our teachers spend mm -hmm. so much of their time planning. They're planning these amazing materials, these lessons, all of these things that they might've had to ad ad adapt a lot from the mm -hmm. curriculum. And then we don't spend any time looking at it. Yes. And so we're looking at the wrong stuff. We're looking at, it's not, not saying that the other stuff's the wrong stuff. It's just, we're looking at the, the other stuff and not looking at this. Yeah. Exclusively. So it's the, it's, yeah. It's mm -hmm. the, it's the balance of it. And so if we were to really say, okay, we're bringing in those piles of student work, that means that those worksheets that you've developed, that it took time for you to tier those lessons and adjust the complexity mm -hmm. of those questions. And you're very intentional about the questions that you ask for them to reach these levels of understanding, bring that. Let's look at that. Let's look at students and how they were able to respond to this prompt and, and what you've done here. And it also validates teachers like, okay, I'm putting the work in and we're looking at it. And then what really happens in those student work sessions, it takes the, like the dirty, like I talked about the data being a dirty word. It takes the dirty out of it because it doesn't feel so data-y, even though it totally is, right? It's qualitative data. Um, and we can still make it quantitative. We can still look at percentage of students right. that are uh, that are progressing towards a mastery of the standard, but they still don't quite get it. Or what did all students know? And so we can really have some celebrations off of that too. So it really like demystifies this concept of data by really honing in on student work. I absolutely agree. That's in my, um, my course, the confident literacy coach, one of the lessons is about how to get a PLC together and look at student work together, because looking at student work is what really shaped the way that we, we built our understanding of how we were impacting what students can do. And that having those conversations, looking at one piece of writing and then everybody looking at their own writing, it elevated our conversation so much because we're all speaking in abstractions if we are not yeah. looking at student work together. Because what you say, oh, my kids did well, my kids did not do well. 
What does that even mean? (laughs) Totally. Mm -hmm. And I think as coaches, we aren't trained to do that first, right? Student work Mm -hmm. doesn't come to us in the code in, in a lot of our coaching, um, professional developments. It's, it's usually the last thing discussed. Usually it is that, that like tiered looking at data of proficiency, mastery, Mm -hmm. looking at standards, looking at common formative assessments. And so for coaches, we're expected to support our teachers in really digging into student work, but we're often not trained on the student work. So I think it's fantastic that building that capacity as a coach, because it's not something that I think any coach would say, no, it's not helpful to look at, but when have we really been trained? When have we had the time to really dig in at student work too? Because we are Mm -hmm. as that layer looking at so many different data types that it is inundating to say, okay, I'm going to now take a step into teacher shoes and look at data in this specific format, um, really drilled down to the student level. So, um, and then it really helps with the shared idea that these are our kids. We're all looking at this data together. We're all owning this data together. If you as a coach can't speak to that student level data, um, it, it doesn't make student teachers feel like you're a part of the team that you, that you're sharing students. And so I just think it, it also can be a relationship builder too. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, we, we get to know our people and, and our students by, by going through this process together. It's so important for our PLCs to come together around that. Um, so it, whenever you're, we're thinking about, <clears throat> about looking at the data that we have, what kinds of data have you collected that may be different than what people already have access to? Cause we have tons of, you know, summative data. We look at end of course stuff. We look at end of year stuff. We look at end of unit things. We may have common assessments that are, that are done. What is something that you look at that is different than maybe what people are already looking at? I love because you said all the things that lead me to my answer all end, end, end. And so <laughs> yes, often exactly. we focus on end, end, end. That's right. And I love that you said that because it's the autopsy versus the diagnosis, right? Yeah, it's too late. If we're looking at the end. It is too late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I, this is not popular opinion, but pre-assessment is so important. Pre-assessment for a unit, for a lesson for whatever it is, is so important because you can, it's like walking into the doctor. They're not going to just say, okay, this is what's wrong with you right away. They assess you. Mm -hmm. And so, so often we rely on, okay, the benchmark says that they're at this percentile ranking. Well, what does that tell us? doesn't tell us how they're measuring necessarily on this skill. Some assessments do, some don't, but saying, okay, I'm going to develop an assessment based on this unit to see what students already know. Most of the time you have students that already know. So if they already know or have mastery of the standard, you can compact curriculum. And I don't see that happening frequently because it's not something that's taught in coursework in in our master's programs. Mm -hmm. It's not taught to our coaches on how to compact curriculum. So if you have a student, four students that have really mastered that standard and they show that 80% or higher on that skill, why do they need to be sitting through the lesson again? They're only going to bug everybody else because they're bored or whatever else. So saying, okay, this is an opportunity to extend and enrich for students that already that already have that that mastery of the standard. So that's PLC question four, which is skipped all the time. I'm going to talk about that later too, because it's just vastly underutilized um, to support our students. And then the other piece is we we get to save time because you already know where students are starting off. You don't have to spend the additional time to over scaffold if you only have a small group of students that really need those scaffolds. So you get to make your little piles, the ones that know it, the ones that almost know it, maybe you might need a few different categories of that, depending on how far those 
those skills are. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that are almost there. And then the stress of the teacher really, I know it's like, oh, but it's another test. Yes. But that test tells you exactly what to do next. And so I don't see teachers giving the pre-assessments like they, like they could be um, because of the feeling of, oh, it's another test. I don't want to test them if they haven't been given it before. Well, with how our standards are built, so many are cycled and there's skills that build Mm -hmm. upon each other from year to year. So your kids might be coming to you with some of those, with some of those skills. And so again, it's the assets-based thinking. What do they already come with that I can use to leverage to make my instruction even better to actually take down the time in my instructional planning? Because I already know where all of them are. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. The it is, it is another assessment, but it's not like sometimes what we get hung up on is like, Oh, another test and just, ugh. but, and it does take time, but it actually will save you time to help because it's going to help you focus on what's essential and for who. And, um, it's also not another test in the, fa- in the way that kids are not going to be punished for anything. There's no penalty mm-hmm. for not right. having the knowledge at the beginning of a unit. You just kind of want to know what's going on. <laughs> you want to get to know your kids in that specific context. Yeah. So as we're trying to work with teachers in using this data and other forms of data that you find relevant, how can a coach ensure that teachers actually have the knowledge that they need to be effective in this way? Yeah. Um, So this really kind of comes down to, I don't know if you've ever read the book Drive by Daniel Pink. Um, You have to first determine uh, your, your teacher's drive, what motivates them, and then also their skill versus their will. And so how I break that down, I know it's published somewhere and I don't know where specifically this is published, but people are kind of in four quadrants of learning that can do, can't do, will do, and won't do, right? And your will do's and your can do's, they need coaching and training. Um, They need that support. You can motivate them, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of those things. If I'm working with my can do's and will do's, it's a much different conversation, Really, it's supporting them with reflective guiding questions. Um, it's that being that thought partner. And then on the other end of the side, you have your can't do's and won't do's. So my can't do's, it's building their capacity and training mm-hmm. them because they're missing those skills and really understanding what to do with this data, what to even look at, what are next steps. And then, you know, you kind of get into the mindset of your won't do's, your ones that can't do and won't do you kind of get into, is this a good fit for you? Because you, you kind of have to, at the end of the day, use this data for your kids to make growth for them. And so once I kind of determine, is this a skill or a will thing? Um, I have to also look at the, if the data is datable and what I call like datable data is like the data that you want to keep looking at. You want to keep exploring. You want to keep, <laughs> you know, kind of like a yeah fancy, sexy term for data, but like, is this, is this data something that we want to continue to talk about because so often um, your teachers might have those preconceived notions of this data already. And so if you are saying, let's dig into this data and they don't find it valuable, you've already lost them before you've sat down at that table. And so um, digging in together after uncovering those, those implicit bias against the data and then supporting them with new learning so often we just expect teachers to know. And while I love, mm-hmm. I love that we know that teachers have some sort of capacity, you have to see where they are at too. And so it, it starts with your own pre-assessment by having those conversations with them, 
Um, if you're leading all of it, you're not listening. And so by you asking the questions that are intentionally getting teachers to talk about data, you're going to get to see what they bring to the table in terms of their background um, and really digging into data to inform their instruction. And then um, outside of that, giving them time to then do something with that data. So often we sit at a table and then they walk away with the biggest to-do list. They're like, okay, mm -hmm. now I have to A, B, C, and D from everything we just talked about at this table. And that is exhausting because there's not enough hours in the day for teachers. And so however you can within that PLT, um, within that time that you have with them, within the coaching meeting, with that, within whatever structure you have to support your teacher, build in that planning time, mm -hmm. whether that's your co-planning, whether that's you taking it on and modeling for them because they don't have the skill set yet. Um, whatever, maybe it's mentoring through and talking through some of the mindsets that they um, are needing to kind of get over the hump to be able to really work with this data. But assuming that your teachers either don't know or know is a very dangerous slippery slope because um, it doesn't honor them as, as professionals and it just gets in your way. So just like you would pre-assess your kids, you want to pre-assess your teachers and then meet them where they are. So for those teachers who can't, you talk about providing that support through learning, right? We're going to learn about how it works. I'm going to model some things. And is that the approach that you take with those teachers? Yeah. So uh, what I will kind of do is I'll get a general gist of my PLT. For the most mm -hmm. part, I have really collaborative PLTs. And if I have one person that's really strong in something else, it's amazing how the other person's really strong in the other thing. And they're really yin and yang. I've had teachers that have worked together from anywhere from like eight to 20 years. So they are very succinct um, here at my school with my PLT teams. And it's really, it's really nice. And I do have some that aren't as succinct. And, and that's where my coaching and coming in on that one-on-one -on -one element to support those teachers to help build their capacity comes into play. So if it can't be done during the PLT, it can happen during coaching session. It can happen when I come model or come do some collaborative co-teaching or planning um, so really the supporting teachers in making sure that they are successful with that data, it happens at all times of the day in all different ways, but usually, um, PD is not the place that I tackle that. I don't tackle it a mm. whole group because so often I can't address the needs of all the teachers and where they are. So I really do intentionally make that something that I can do within a PLT or if I can do one-on-one -on -one, or if I have a group of teachers that have a particular need offering that um, professional development for that specific need. So mm -hmm. be very intentional about the time that you, you do uh, take with teachers because they, they have so little to give. Yes. And if you're meeting in a group setting and you have some people who are going to need some additional assistance with something, it's a good idea. Like you're saying to say, you know what, why don't I come by tomorrow and we can take a look at it together. We'll look at just your class because you don't want five other people sitting there going, all right, I guess we'll just hang out until that's done because they don't have the time for that. Yeah, absolutely. How do you address the ones who won't? What does that look like? Um, so First, hoping that you have a really good relationship, it's really uncovering the why. So why not? Mm -hmm. uh, I had a teacher that said, oh, I don't like pre-assessment. Okay, tell me more. Um, what was, what's the reason why you don't? Well, and then she went into a big story about her last coach. Um, when she used pre-assessment, um, she made her enter the grades of those students. And that was the grades that were entered into their grade book. And so she didn't feel it was fair. 
And so there was a lot that kind of was uncovered. And I said, okay, definitely not best practice. They shouldn't be penalized for what they don't already know. No, don't enter it. This is, you have, you know, this is a chance to see who, who does have it. And then, yeah, you can say, Hey, you're a, you're a three buddy. Good job, you know, on standards-based planning. And so, um, so I had to uncover that. So the won't was really because of the bad experience that she had had before. And I wouldn't have known if I didn't ask. So often we see the crossed arms and the pursed lips and we go, I'm not, you know, I'm, that's a crucial conversation. I'm maybe not willing to have or not ready to have, but if you don't have it, mm -hmm. it will, it will come out like a bottle of soda that's shaken up and you just untwist it just a little bit and you hear the hiss and that hiss is going to happen all year long. So if you don't just <laughs> unscrew the bottle, you know, and just say, okay, let's get this out now. Um, you, you just really have to address it. So my mindset babes, I have a few of them and and sometimes it's just really drilling into this is what we're going to do. And I do also preface it with like, Hey, we're talking about data on Thursday. Do you need anything from me? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I can iron it out before they even sit down at my table. Sometimes if I haven't, and they sit down at my table, I can already see, Oh, they're coming in with, with the armor. And so if I can, you know, demantle that and demystify the data and just kind of also let them feel heard about whatever previous experience that they've had, the, the PLT is going to be that much more successful. I love that. I think preemptively having those conversations is so important. And yeah, it really paves the way for um, a conversation that is going to be more purposeful and effective instead of everybody else being afraid they're going to tick somebody off because that is also what happens. Like you feel it. Well, they also feel it, right? All the other teachers are like, oh, Miss so-and-so really doesn't want to do this. And it's just like, oh, this icky feeling that pervades the room. Oh my gosh. And, and we, we know those PLTs and mm -hmm. our teachers know those PLTs. So anything you can do as a coach to make this a space that that's not going to fly. And, and mm -hmm. it's hard because it's not always something that is within your control. But if you have really strong norms, if you mm -hmm. set those collective commitments at the beginning of the year of, of we're going to look at data and we're going to find the data that's meaningful and you can really lay that groundwork, then Hopefully that and a few individual conversations can, can lend that time to really be um, used to look at data mindfully. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that tip. Um, so whenever you're thinking about this team coming together to look at data, what does that like a really great session look like to you? Okay. So like five years ago, Jessica would have been like, no one yelled at each other. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like really, and I, why I say that is because a coach in their coaching journey might not be where I am now. Right. And I have some time. coaching friends that are just like, I got out of PLTs and no one yelled at each other and they talked nice about kids and it was really great. Someone said, wow, this was good data. And so I wanted to address that, like your successful PLT can kind of start there. And yes. that's okay if that's where you are in implementation. Yeah, um, you have to get and, through that stuff. You just have to work yeah. through it. It doesn't, you don't get to the good stuff if you don't work through the icky stuff. It's yeah. been my experience anyway. You just have to go and try and get it on the calendar and do it and do it badly. And then over time you can make it better, but you can't make it better if you don't do it badly. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I would have known that in the beginning of my coaching journey, because I felt so much pressure. Mm -hmm. um, to be, you know, of course you want to be the best coach and you yeah. want to be so effective in your PLT structures. 
you also want to, I think for me as a new coach, I was really into like being the expert because I wanted them to respect me. You know, I'm younger coming in to veteran teachers that have been doing this for a long time, right? Like I wasn't even born and they were teaching it and they were teaching already. And so you, you have to have some humility. And so it took me some time to learn that humility and to realize that um, really I, I was coming at it the wrong way when I was starting out. I was trying to be the expert. I was trying to have all the answers. I was trying to be, you know, the, the glue. And so what I've transitioned in my, in my mindset is, is really just been into supporting my teacher's efficacy and it, and it being not led, but facilitated. And so how I've gotten to get there is through first respecting our teacher's capacity. Mm-hmm. They, they've done this before. You're not their first rodeo. They're not showing up with an exception of your new teacher's first year ready, you know, spongy and ready to learn from you. Um, you, you have some people that have some experience, so you can recognize and hopefully honor that they're coming to you with data that they do want to look at, that they have been looking at. I call it like shower thoughts, right? It's like, oh, dang, Alex still doesn't know how to regroup. How do I, how do I fix that? Like teachers are always having those type of moments where they're thinking about their students and what to do next based on different types of data that they're collecting. And so what I did was I I just recently had a PLT with my teachers where I gave them a scenario, right? And this is probably a common one. They laughed at it because they've, they've done it to me before, but it's like, you come into a PLT, you hear, we're going to talk about data. You roll your eyes, you look at the benchmark reports. You already know what students are proficient and who aren't. And then you look at the standards that they're struggling with. You need time to make a plan and to look at what next steps would look like in the same PLT, you look at CFA data and you have a lot of feelings about the validity of that specific CFA. And you sit and wonder why this data you ask yourself, what if we could look at data that is meaningful to me as a teacher and the next steps I need to take in my classroom for my students to learn. And when I gave them that scenario, my teachers felt like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Why do I have to go and talk about this data? And that's not the data I want to talk about. And those aren't the questions I would want to be asked. So what I did was, hey, what questions would you want to be asked? What questions would you ask as a PLC? And so they were asking questions like, what data are we looking at? What's the purpose of this data? What assessments can we make that actually align the curriculum with the standards and assessment? What depth of knowledge is this data measuring? What subgroups for tiered instruction emerge from this data? And I'm sorry, really good questions that are honestly better than what my brain could have come up with. And so we had our special area team. So our core arts developing questions specific to their content. So everyone that was developing questions in this PLT felt like, wow, so I get permission to look at the data that I want to look at. And what's funny is a lot of these questions were questions that I would have wanted them to get to anyways. It's kind of like when you generate rules with your class, right? You like, you have your rules in your brain and then you make the rules and you're like, okay, respect is in there. Got it. Right. Like they're asking all the right questions, um, but really empowering them to, to set the stage for the agenda, to decide this is what we want to look at. Um, that already is going to give you the buy-in. And then when I did do a follow-up, my teachers of transitioning this into Jessica led to you led, what support would you need? Cause that needs to be the next thing. If you're going to uh-huh. shift any sort of like adjustment in systems, the question needs to be, what support do you need? 
So I asked preset questions. Do you need an agenda? Do you need a facilitator? Do you need a moderator? Do you need someone to support with norms? Do you need a note taker? Do you need, what, what do you need? And so the teams really emerged. A lot of them said, we just really need help with the agenda, with sending it out, with reminding us what data we need to bring based on what questions we have set for that data PLT. Um, so really the effective PLT looks like your teacher is having ownership. And so um, it's scary just as a teacher in the classroom, it's scary to relinquish the control because you're worried it's going to be in coaching world crickets and everyone's staring at you. Um, but if you can invest them in the process, like for example, these are the things that we're planning this year for next year. Mm -hmm. They already have in their mind, they're going to have months to think about, okay, we're leading the data PLT. Cool. I've already made my peace with it. I'm ready. You know, I told them I'll bring you snacks. It's fine. Like we can do this. Um, and so, and so I feel like that's the piece to really empower your teams where it, it can be effective because they're the ones really in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really great. Um, asking, having them generate those questions is a really great activity to use. And then you can come back to those questions, regardless of what data you're looking at. Those are things that we need to understand. And I'm also really glad you mentioned the validity of the assessment because I can remember getting assessments from the district level that teachers were requ required to give. And some of them was like, this is terrible. It doesn't, yeah. who wrote this? <laughs> you know, can we not yeah. use this? I can actually remember one of the questions was so bad. I, before we had the copies made, I just taped over it with a different question that had the same correct answer choice. And then whenever we looked at our data, we looked at, we, I mean, I, I mean, that was sneaky, but I wasn't, what was the point of giving children a crummy mm -hmm. assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's the, that's what makes a good coach, right? Being a conscious consumer, you can't, mm -hmm. and that's how you also protect your teachers on your campus. Yes. Not everything, <clears throat> these publishers and most people that are creating these things, they're creating things with like this, like maybe sometimes general average elusive kid in mind. So that's the first thing to note. They are not adjusting based on student needs and especially the kids that you have that have diverse needs in your classroom. And then the second thing is people make these things and people make mm -hmm. mistakes. And mm -hmm. so we have to look at it and say, am I behind this? And if it's not, that's where we ask the question, can I do something that I am behind? What is within my circle of influence? What is within my control? Because I do allow them to vent. Yes, you're right. <laughs> it's that, that assessment was really cruddy. Mm -hmm. That was not something we want to put children through because that would have made them feel really bad taking that. Um, but in that same case, what can we make that we can collect that data with? Yes. Because, um, because so often they'll get stuck in the, just they're angry. They're angry yep. that this is their reality and that they are made to implement this particular thing. And that's where you as a coach coming in with your multiple roles. And one of those roles being cheerleader and then advocate, advocate mm -hmm. when it's not the thing that is best for kids or best for your teachers. Mm -hmm. And the person who, like you said, says, okay, so what can we do? You're right. right. It's awful. What can we do? Like, we're not going to change that right this minute. What right. can we do with what we can change? Yeah. I think that's, that's an important part of any um, conversation that you have with teams because teams can get really stuck in, in like they say venting. And I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I've read that like scientifically, we medically, we know that venting is supposed to be short. Yeah. Once it goes beyond a certain point, now you're just making yourself angrier. 
-hmm. and everybody else is also getting angrier. And so you don't, you're not actually like event opens up for a minute and then it closes. Yeah. It lets out a little steam and then it moves on. It doesn't continue to like spew, you know, this is not a volcanic eruption. I mean, it's supposed to be short. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, we, if we allow it to take over everything, then we don't help anybody and we don't fix the problem either. Yeah. And as a new coach, it's really hard to determine how to do that. And so building those Mm -hmm. protocols in in advance, knowing that you're going to have the vent and then clarifying what does vent mean? Vent Mm -hmm. means unbridled, go for it for a minute. You have one full (laughs) minute, get it out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But I love that, that, you know, that illustration of it opens, it closes because we do have to continue on for the work because they, they talk about it themselves. We don't have the time, right? right? This is valuable time. And so let's, let's make the most out of this time. Right. In the moment you feel like, I have to get all this out. But then after the meeting passes, you're like, well, now I'm still in the same place I was 45 minutes ago, you know, and now I'm just angrier about it. So, yeah, yeah, we have to facilitate because we can be a little bit on the outside of that and we we can kind of see where it's headed. Yeah. Um, So you talk about, I really think was so important about having a planning component during these data sessions that we are like, okay, this is the data we looked at. This is how we are understanding it. So now what are we going to do? Because if we're not planning, then it's pointless. It's just like a million things swimming in your head, but you don't walk back to your classroom prepared for anything. Yeah. How can we actually use the data that we're looking at to impact our instruction and, you know, really change the way that we're meeting students needs? Yeah. So I think the first thing that, um, I, I want to bring in is there's, there's data that's done at the district level. There's data that's done at the school level. There's mm-hmm. the classroom level data. Um, I would say one piece is to really look at how you can use data systemically. So that's the first thing. How can I build in whatever data that we're collecting across grade levels or across content areas? How can I build a system for it? Because if mm-hmm. you can build a system for it, you're going to take the pressure off of your teachers of a finding an assessment, um, looking at next steps for that data. Because if you can streamline, this is assess, this is the assessment we're going to use. And these are the next steps we're going to do for these kids. If they have shown that they are in ABC need, then you can say, this is just across the board, what we do and make it a practice that takes the planning off of your teacher's shoulders, because there's you're supporting really that like MTSS process, like at, at, at a more global level. And so when we first started as a coach, I had teachers using all sorts of different screeners. And so then streamlining, okay, let's, you, let's pick the one because they're all eventually coming up to you anyways. Kinder's going to go to first. Like you're all going to need to have some sort of streamlined data. Um, and we do have like a walk to read or what we call our win time, what I need time. And so during that time, really supporting the collection of data that would be done in, in that tier two, tier three format within a classroom, but supporting that, that level of, um, of collecting data so that teachers aren't responsible for collecting every single bit of data that then goes into MTSS or child study team or whatever. Um, and then within that intervention plan, So you have your intervention plan for the school, right? And that's something that we do have a program that we use. um, And within the program that we use, it provides us with a placement. We know exactly where to put kids. We know exactly the amount of 
units or mastery tests they have to grow by the end of the year in order to be out of remediation for reading, for example. But we also have a plan for upprevention, and that's never talked about. It's the intervention and then upprevention. What are we going to do for the students to accelerate their learning that they've already mastered those skills? And so having the plans for intentional extension, extension and enrichment for our students that have already mastered um, and kind of gotten out of that intervention cycle. Because when we call it intervention, I think what we do is we focus on a, a, a chunk of the kids. Well, that's, that's only a portion of your kids. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's a bigger portion, just depends on how far the kiddos are behind. And with the COVID learning loss, yeah, we have more students in that chunk of intervention, but we also have students that are not. And so what are we going to do to make sure that every kid, when they go to school, they deserve to learn something new every day. And that's your kid that can't read. And that's your kid in kinder reading Harry Potter. Like mm -hmm. all those kids deserve to learn something new every single day. And so um, really it's allowing also the teachers to plan together, to plan with you, taking time to identify what are the needs of the students, obtaining the knowledge. Um, again, not assuming that teachers just know what to do. Okay, your kids can't read, now what? This is These are research-based structures, strategies, activities, materials that we're going to do. Um, giving them the time to develop by applying their practice and then that reflection coming back and um, and making sure that we're hitting all of those questions of the PLC four questions that we live we live in those in our PLTs talking about what do they do when they get it when they don't get it and then coming back and then sharing out with our teams what worked what didn't work and I think that's the most important part is allowing teachers to work together in that like peer observation capacity because so often your, your teachers that are doing it every single day, right? They are the ones teaching it and their co-partner, they taught it too. And then so saying, hey, my, my kids got it. What, how'd your kids do? What did you do? And then comparing those strategies, having those discussions, um, where we so often expect our teachers to have these sidewalk conversations and they do, they have the sidewalk conversations of, Hey, I'm teaching fractions. Oh my gosh. They just bombed that unit test. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to do this. And they're having all these really rich discussions. Um, but giving them the time to have those discussions in your PLTs, having them, giving them the time to then, okay, you said they bombed it. Let's look at how can we coach this together? And so, um, the, the data really needs to include the planning piece and, and a good amount of planning where your teachers aren't just expected to walk out of this meeting and go do something with it. You really need to have an intentional planning session planned with your teachers. Okay. Now that we talked about this data, let's set up a time to plan to then implement mm -hmm. our next steps for this data. Excellent. <clears throat> yeah. I think we do um, sort of expect teachers Many times systems are not set up in place in order to actually support teachers in collaborating around these ideas. And we come up with these much better ideas whenever we're sitting, talking to each other from all these different perspectives and see what's been done and what hasn't been done and, and just kind of sharing the thinking, you know, like a group think, you know, so helpful. So what are some of the systems that you have in place that really support your teachers and being effective about, because you talked about like common assessments and, and looking at these assessments and figuring out how they're going to use the information. What do you have in place that helps teachers do all of these things around data? So one thing that we did just this year, um, really thinking about the concept of making the right thing, the right thing, 
And we do that by focusing on few. And so we have our PLT topics that are predetermined and we cycle through those topics. And so we have our PLT specific to our data that we're looking at and then teachers decide what data that is. We have our PLTs that are specific to unpacking this, the learning targets from the standards, from the essential standards that were chosen, um, aligning those with curriculum resources. We have the ones on the tier two system, our win or walk to read time, looking at that data, not just time to look at the data, but enter the data and then discuss, oh, wow, I'm noticing from this um, formative or, or uh, summative at the end of the week, these students didn't master it. What do I do now? And so cycling through, uh, when I gave my teachers the end of year PLT cycle uh, survey that I that I do for any time, they, my poor teachers are doing surveys all the time because I want their voice. I want to hear um, what they think about the structures that we have in place. They said, we really liked that we had four things and we're focusing on those four things. And those four things came every single month. We knew mm -hmm. it was pre-calendared, it was pre-structured. Um, and so then they had the time to dig in because they knew exactly what to expect. Um, and then something too, when you're, when you're making it the right data, getting those te teacher pieces of input, um, you also want to see, are you going to make sure that teachers are walking away with something? And so I don't know about you, my PLTs are like 35 minutes. <laughs> so it's like this golden 35 minutes of magic that I have to make happen every single week. Mm -hmm. And so my new coach self, I was like, we're going to look at this, this, and this. Right. And the teachers left feeling like, oh my gosh. Yeah. We looked at everything. My, my brain is broken. Mm -hmm. And so determining what's the one thing you want your teachers to walk away from, from yep. this PLT. And so sometimes it's just time to reflect, just giving them the time to reflect. So our, our PLT, the, the month before one of them was just reflecting on the strategy that we did and looking at the data and they had a choice board on how they wanted to reflect and how they wanted to share that with that reflection with the team. And one of my teachers said, it was really nice just to give the time to reflect. Mm -hmm. I don't have that time to reflect with my peers about data. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's kind of like the, the really, really go, what is it? The go slow to go fast kind of thing, yes. like in order for us to really build our momentum as like a really strong PLT, it's okay to walk away with one PLT with your teachers reflected today. It feels small. It feels like they, it's not a lot, but it, it, it truly is. And especially the more, you know, about like adult learning theory and how reflection is so anchored in, in what we do as adults next in like application Mm -hmm. um, making the time for that reflection is really important. So I'd say the systems being there are also the protocols that you put in place. Um, and mm -hmm. then being, like I said, the right stuff. Yeah. I like that idea of having there's reflection time, but it's focused on something specific. So we're mm -hmm. going to reflect on how this one thing went. We planned, we were going to try this out. How did it go? And then we can look at student work or have response or whatever it is that, that we are going to use to kind of process how, what effect did this have on our kids? Because having it focused means you're actually going to support thinking about that one thing instead of like, it's how is reading going? 
That's a lot. <laughs> How is science going? That's just like too much. And you're not going to, you're not going to actually accomplish much because everybody's going to take that in a different direction. And yeah. they're going to start talking about the big systemic stuff instead of this one thing. Right. So narrowing down that foot, which has its place at a certain time, you know, but if that's not the point to address the systemic issues and figure out how you can change the system at your school, if the point is to reflect on something specific, we need to narrow it down very specifically. Yeah. And we're, we're going to have also our content specific teachers or what we call like our, our silos, right? Our Mm -hmm. silos, the ones that are on their own. Sometimes it's really hard to have that, that collaboration because you're all talking about content. And it's hard, but it is a mindset shift to talk about. We're not teaching reading. We're teaching kids reading, right? We're not teaching science. We're, <laughs> we're teaching scientists. And so like a lot of these things is understanding that, yeah, we are. So save the content specific discussions for coaching, right? Especially if you're, if you're coming into this and saying, I only have 35 minutes. What do mm-hmm. I do? How do I still honor my teacher's content? Because they work hard to become an expert in what they do. They spend countless hours. They've spent all this time, effort, resource into becoming this content specialist. Um, and, and sometimes they're asked to, okay, we'll take off that content hat and just focus on reading. And I see their, their eyes twitch and they're like, no, I am a content specialist. And it's so yeah. important because it is, it is, but because you are only one person in a team of five that are meeting all at the same time, saving those content talks and making the space for them in coaching. Um, so that when you are talking at the table, talking about needs can be cross disciplines, right? They can be Mm -hmm. interdisciplinary talking about needs, talking about student, um, scaffolds, talking about those strategies. They can very often be interwoven across content areas. And for people that share students discussing that streamlining of, of, uh, approach where we're all going to be doing the same thing so that we can support our students mm-hmm. is really, really powerful and brings your team together. Yes, that was great. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared about how we can use data to really um, support our teachers in growing and finding ways to meet their students' needs and, and really coming together as a team to do this. Thank you. Um, I get now to ask my favorite question, which is what is your favorite thing right now? So it could be anything. It's just a fun question. It can be um, a product, a TV show, a book, anything that you are loving. I love that. Well, right now, um, so I don't know if if this is unique to me or if this is just like every coach or neuro spicy person, I don't know, but I'm like in 500 different books, right? So I'm like (laughs) in 500 different books. And so my current book right now is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Um, it's so good. And she just gives so many little things, little little mantras that I bring into not just like my work, but um, but my home life too. So it's a really easy read. So I don't know. I always kind of get into what's my hyper fixation right now in terms of reading. Um, and so she's she's mine at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Is it was it on Ted Lasso this season that he referred to Brene Brown? I think um, <laughs> it was really cute. So yeah. yeah, um, there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, I've read a few of her books, and they are really impactful and just kind of help you think differently about the way that we interact with others. So I love it. Yeah, and especially in your role as a coach, mm-hmm. that vulnerability piece, understanding yep. um, that vulnerability is not weakness, and then she really has you lean into crucial conversations and mm-hmm. how being unclear is unkind. And so, so, so I I don't know if it was like necessarily written as a coaching book, but it is so applicable to the coaching role 
And so it feels like, feels like therapy, a lot of inner, inner thinking, which, which is really good. But, um, but yeah, so what, one of the many books that I'm, you know, a few chapters in. Nice. (laughs) Well, how can people find you online if they are interested in learning more? So, I mean, I do have an Instagram it's coach Mm -hmm. with Jess. And then, um, I haven't done anything fancy in the way of websites or anything, but you know, they can always reach me an email coach with just consulting at gmail.com. And, and I support, um, new coaches too, in terms of just like having a buddy and talking. Um, I have a lot of like coaching friends that were like, what do I do? And honestly, when I first started out as a coach, I'm not even saying this because it's you, but like I downloaded your coaching binder. I don't know oh. your, your coaching binder on teachers pay teachers. And I was like, what do I, what am I even doing? And I like downloaded that and that saved me in my first oh, few years. Right. As a coach. So I need you to know that, but oh, like, I, I think just having the the community and having another coach to talk to, mm-hmm. um, which is what like this, this tribe that you've really built is really important. Um, and just an informal way too. So if it's like, Hey, I've, I've experienced that. How do I get out of that? Like, you know, really frustrating PLC. That's just not, that's riddled with fixed mindset, you know? So, um, so that's kind of what I would offer just that, that informal, organic, authentic support. Um, because we already have so many, so many, um, resources that are emerging for coaching, but Mm -hmm still, it's still a untapped world. There's still so much more that us coaches, um, in building our capacity and being ready for supporting our teachers and like probably one of the hardest times to ever be a teacher. Um, So it's so important to have all of those things and just to have a tribe. Yes, I completely agree with that. Thank you so much. I'm sure people are going to check you out. Um, and I really appreciate you being here today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I loved Jessica's take on data and how it's authentic and actually supportive of teachers thinking differently about teaching. It is the most important thing we can do is support their thinking in these ways. So that was great information. Next week, we're digging into formative assessment with Steve Ventura. I cannot wait to chat with him about how we can plan and use formative assessments to shape our kids' learning experience. So that is coming up next week in episode 171. In the meantime, if you are looking for a way to have different kinds of data conversations with your teachers, head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 170 and scroll down. You can grab a free data bookmark that will give you some questions you can talk about. And they're all different kinds of questions that might give you a more realistic and um, meaningful approach to data. So definitely grab that. And until next week, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.